Hey girls and guys, and welcome to the Always a Bridesmaid podcast. We're your hosts, Mallory and Marissa. We are two best friends in our 30s turned neighbors living in Newport Beach, California. As a couple of girls who have collectively been in over 25 weddings, none of which were our own, we know a thing or two about life after walking down the aisle. So join us as we talk all things relationships, friendships, wellness, and celebrating every season of life. From interviewing fearless single females to navigating the ups and downs of millennial dating to owning, loving, and nurturing your true authentic self. We can't wait to embark on this journey with you. But first things first, will Will you be our bridesmaid? Hi, everybody. Hey, guys. Welcome to another episode of Always a Bridesmaid podcast. We were just, we, um, on our little anchor website that we use, we can see the last time we recorded and the last time we recorded was literally March 24th. So we have been on a long spring break. It's been a bit of a hiatus here. And I know, I feel like we've been saying that on each episode because we've had so much time in between episodes and recording and posting. And, um, I think that goes to show it's been kind of like a crazy few months. I mean, for me personally, I know, but um, for Marissa as well, it's been kind of a rough patch in like the last few months to kind of get back into not only a routine, but a schedule. And um, I know myself, um, there's just been a lot going on. So we are happy to announce that we have planned out the next yeah, month have, and a half. And it, honestly, I, I think like we were saying right now, like what the heck have we been doing lately? And I mean, there's been like a couple, I, I think Mal's, you know, has been going through some changes more than I have, but I think more than anything, both of us have been really taking the last month to like reflect and grow. And the episode today is all about a book we read that we are like inspired. I think that this book, you guys, was 12 hours. Yeah, it took a lot of it our time. A lot and of we our were time. so invested in this book. We, it took us three weeks to finish. But anyways, before we get into the book and our takeaways and all of that, um, Mal, do you want to get a little, give a little update? Yeah. So some updates on me. Um, in the last month, I, um, I took a leap of faith and more so, um, more so listen to like what my gut instinct has been telling me for some time in terms of my job and my career path and, um, what I want to, you know, do with my damn life. But, um, I am making a change in my work. Um, I accepted an opportunity and will be going back into, um, still sales, but back into staffing and recruiting. Um, I'm so excited for this opportunity. It's been a few years since I've been doing it. And I just realized that, it's kind of where my heart is more so than in, in the current job that I had had. And I felt like it's something I had been praying about and just trying to really work things through. Um, so I'm excited. I've had the last few weeks off. I've been on this like fun employment. Oh, she's been on Hawaii time. I'm on Hawaii time. And to be honest, this is the life that I feel like is truly made for me. But we all have to work at some point, right? You so. truly know. You always say, oh, I don't care what my husband does as long as we're in love. No, after we get a glimpse of that Hawaii time that his bitch has better work. Yeah, he's got to work for the both of us because it (laughs) would be really nice to have this time. Today I worked out and then I went grocery shopping in the morning. I bought flowers. I just like this week. I'm just it's my last week before I start work on Monday and I'm just taking advantage of all the time. I've spent so much time with my family and my friends and their babies. And it's so funny, like 
that's exactly where my heart goes. I feel like when I do have time off and like not all these things plans, like I immediately want to get more centered and connect with friends that like I haven't been able to because of a job situation. Um, and because of everything opening up and people being vaccinated, I got to just like cuddle my friends, babies that have had newborns in this last year. Um, it was such a fun, like this last weekend, you, Mar, Mar came as well, but we got to, you know, spend the weekend at the beach and it was just so much fun. Mm. I felt very relaxed and like refreshed and ready to take on this new adventure that starts on Monday, but not without having a little fun this weekend. <laughs> yeah. It was so funny because I, you know, like we're not around kids, you know, like we're not teachers. Our friends that have kids live in another city. They live about an hour away. So it's yeah. not like they live, you know, a city over, like they live kind of far. Um, our nieces and nephews both live about an hour away. And so we're not a around kids a lot. You know, we also live like, I feel like this, like Newport, like also maybe there's kids, but like, we don't, we're just not around a lot of kids. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. anyways, so Thursday I went over to Mal's family, had a beach house and I, there was several kids there all so freaking adorable. And then there, we went to the beach on Friday and like Mal was with them 24 seven. I was maybe there about 50% of the time, just like popping in to say hi. And then I also got to see my family on Saturday for my dad's birthday. And it was just so fun being with my niece and nephew. So anyways, so yesterday I go to Mal's and we're hanging out and we're having pizza and I'm like, okay, Mal, honest opinion. You spent four days with the kids. <laughs> Could you have kids? And she's like, oh yeah. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> I realized like seeing the amount of shit that they have to love. Oh, there's the a lot. Yeah. And seeing like the strollers and the playpen and they have to nurse and all of that. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like give me a kid that's seven, maybe. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't or you just all pack a little bag and go. Yeah. That can swim. Like we're good. Um, no, in all seriousness, like I do think it, it made me realize like, oh, you know, having a family could be so fun, but there was a big part of me also like, holy crap. Like, yeah, I give it to the mom. So yeah. much work. I, um, honestly, so my, my two friends that came down, um, they have, they, they both have toddlers and then they both have, um, like infants. One is two months and then one is six months old. And we had the bright idea, like their husbands were gone this weekend at a bachelor party. So I was like the guys are gone, like come out to the beach and you know, whatever, whatever tick was going off in their mind, they agreed to it. And like, I feel like once they had like the whole car, like packed up and like on the way home, I think they were both like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, we're about to like head to the beach, just us two and four children. Like, how are we going to handle it? But honestly, it was, it was so much crap, so many things to worry about. But I think at the end of the weekend, they felt just like so accomplished because not only we were talking as about, they should. yeah, as they should, because a, it's so hard figuring that out. They did it with such grace. And like the weekend went out, went, went off without a hitch. Um, but it was so funny. They were also saying like, you know, we forget how much our husbands like actually do. Right. Cause like we're always, cause obviously we, as women, like, like they deal with the babies, they have to breastfeed, they have to feed the kids and do all dress the kids and make sure there's so much, obviously more than a mom does when it comes to these things. But the men lug all the shit. They lug all the shit everywhere. And it was just so funny. We're like, oh, the, the amount of trips we'd have to like make to the, mm -hmm. take to the beach or whatever. When half the time, you know, they're inside with the kids and they just and come out like, and the beach is set uh -huh. up and camp is set up and food is packed and like all the things. So it was kind of funny. Like 
they're like, next time for sure the guys are coming because they're setting up that stupid can canopy. I am not going to do that again. But oh my, it gosh. was so much fun, so much fun. But anyway, so what else is new with what else is new with you? What else can we get into today? Um, so I got a vibrator. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Wait, you guys. To be honest, I wasn't going to bring it up because. Oh, but we have to. I know. I just feel like I need to do justice for the women that listen to this to like do a, a swipe up link. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> just so you guys know, obviously, every episode, there's always some reference into me and my vibrator or whatever. And I've just been waiting for the day that, you know, we could talk about this with yeah, Marissa. And the thing is, is that we have two biggest fans and it's my mom and my stepdad. And <laughs> they listen to it before we even press post. Like they have it, they're dialed in, ready to listen while they're on the, you know, that great river kayaking. So anyway, <laughs> so I can't believe I'm sharing this, but fuck it. We yeah. have, I will say you guys that we have gotten, we get like every every few days, I think I'm like, should we do this podcast? Like we're just two girls from Altaloma. Like, you know, mm -hmm. what, who the fuck cares what we have to say? Like, are we, what gives us the right to like give this advice? And I swear to you, anytime I have these thoughts, we'll get a message come through. Are you guys recording soon? Like, why haven't you recorded? What's, what's going on? Like people that we know that from high school and then people we don't know. And even last week I told Mal, I like text her. I'm like, Mal, do you still want to do the podcast? Because I don't know. I yeah. just get like, I know. I, I, and I feel like because life gets so busy too. Um, and, and these are good conversations that, and I think healthy conversations too, like the, the way we talked about it too, when you're like, do you still want to do it? It's like, of course, like this, this podcast is like an outlet. It's like what I feel like you and I connect more when we do this podcast. If anything, it's just like a fun mm -hmm. hobby that I'm doing with my best friend. And if and if people love it and if it ever takes off, that would just be a plus. But I would never not want to do it because I feel like it it is honestly a part of like our growth and like totally it's we, holding us accountable. Holding us accountable. But it's also showing that like when we talk about these things it's therapy for us. Like when we go, when we're able to talk about the people like we used to be or our downfalls or whatever, like that is therapy within ourselves. And we're on this whole journey through like self-exploration. Haha. <laughs> now that you have your vibrator <laughs> and so much more that like this podcast does so much more for us. So yeah, when you asked that, I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> I know. I don't know. I just think I get in my head like, you know, you're just like, what, you know, I don't know. It's yeah. just with anything you do, like any type of risk where you like emotionally vulnerable and putting yourself out there, it's just, it, you just wonder like, is this the right thing? But mm -hmm. I know it is when I get those messages and we always say, whether it's one person or five people, the, like, I mean, even that, I'm sorry, we're like going on such a tangent, but even no. the amount of people who have reached out regarding Mal's story about, um, her, like, body image and all of that. Like you just realize that these are things that we talk about as friends, but like so many girls go through and like, just to be an outlet for, for them to, to share and for us to listen, it just is amazing. So anyways, I guess I just never want you guys to think that we're like flaky or something. It really just boils down to us being like so busy mm -hmm, with so our busy vibrators. And, <laughs> and now that Marissa has a second okay, best friend. So I'll tell you guys. So going to be basically, hanging out with that a lot more than me. <laughs> so basically, ew. So basically I have never been much of a gal that like was into any of that stuff. Like I just wasn't like I had boyfriends. I 
if I wanted to have sex, I had a boyfriend. If I, you know, like it just, you know, or it was like a hookup. Like, I don't know, like yeah. whatever, sue me. I'm not, I am who I am. Yeah. There's so nothing anyways, wrong with that. Yeah. So anyways, so I, for the past three years have been like somewhat sexually active when dating somebody, but like none whatsoever otherwise, because it's like a big, um, insecurity of mine. And it's a lot of like trauma associated because of where my cancer is. A lot of stuff is painful. And it's just something that with my previous therapist that like we worked on constantly of her trying to say like, get out of your head, get out of your head, get out of your head. I have several girlfriends who all say like, you need to get a vibrator. Like you need Mm -hmm. to become even, not even just girlfriends. It's my, my oncologist, my OBGYN, my nerd, my cancer nurse, nurse Patty, who I fucking love. Like everyone has told me this. Honestly, I also feel like somewhat guilt when it comes to this stuff because of where I'm at with my faith. But I also know that like human sexuality is so normal. Mm -hmm. So I've like just come to terms with a lot of stuff. So anyways, um, I had been kind of like hinting the last month that like, maybe I'd want to think about it because Mal has the collection. (laughs) Okay. I've had the same small little vibrator, like my whole freaking life. And then that one giant (laughs) dildo that my friend gifted me for Christmas. That's scary that I have not have yet to touch. Oh, it's terrifying. You guys, it is terrifying. It is like picture two water bottles at a, like a 90 degree. Yeah. It has like this little rabbit on it that I'm not sure what the rabbit does. And I'm just, you know, I'm not experienced enough to do that, but you know, I have it. I wasn't able to return it at Amazon cause I was scared, but, um, you know, it was clearly a gag gift, but you just never, you never know. Never said. Yeah. Never said. So anyways, so I get, so our friend, I don't know if she wants me to say her name. So just know, like, okay. Our friend, our friend who's <laughs> very sexually aware of herself, like that bitch knows herself well. Yeah. And I've always been kind of like inspired by her because she just like owns it without being shy. Like, I don't know, I guess in in a world where I'm so outgoing, like I just get kind of shy about it. And I think it has a lot to do with the last three years. Mm -hmm. So anyways, her and Mal or her and yeah, her and Mal talk no, you hadn't ordered it yet, right? I no, I had um I hadn't ordered it, but she had texted me about it. Yeah, so like, she, she and text- I text about our um Oh no, that's what happened. Our, I had called you our, guys and you guys were on a FaceTime. Oh yes. And yes, she yes. had FaceTimed us and was like, I just gave myself the most surreal orgasm. It's this little like black vibrator. So I'm like a little bit more curious, like, dang, like that's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, send me the link. Fuck it. Like, send me the link. You guys, first of all, I get my package delivered. It's in a cardboard box with a sticker. So it's like the address on one side, but on the back, they like stickered it and stickered, put a sticker on like the outside box where the mailman can see. And it says vibrating clitoral, like vibrator or something like stimulator on the back package. So I'm like, Oh, I'm all embarrassed. Like throwing it in. (laughs) Well, what's funny is mine had come, mine had came in the mail like that Sunday and I FaceTime tomorrow and I was like, my vibrator came and Mar goes, Oh, mine did too. I haven't opened it. Like hers had come like days prior and I was like, open it. And then it was was literally still taped. Like I hadn't like, I wasn't even excited to open it. So I open it and on one side it's a vibrator and on the other side it's a suction. Yeah. It's like this little suction. I don't know what you would call it, but it's meant for like clitoral stimulation. So I'm like, okay, like breathing, like, okay, I have (laughs) to try it because the other thing that, I mean, this podcast is such a, 
uh, TMI right now, but the other thing they gave me was an internal estrogen cream and that's supposed to help with like sex being less painful and elasticity and all of that. But they were basically saying like, you have to start doing the, your hormones are out of whack. Like you have to start doing these things. And like my OBGYN has said, and my oncologist has said like, you have to do this because it keeps you like open for lack of a better mm-hmm, word. And mm-hmm. it, and it, it disincent, it makes you less sensitive to when it actually will happen and yeah. it'll make you less closed off. So anyways, I get this little thing. First of all, it's cute. It's not the scary vibrator that Mal has the big dick yeah. one. It's this little black one. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to try it. So I, I'm on the phone with Mal and Brooke during this. Not on, she's not doing oh, it she, on the I, phone with us. <laughs> no. I'm on the phone with she, Mal and our friend. She's FaceTiming. She FaceTimed me us before. And then I'm like, okay, well, like, good luck. I hung up the phone. I, my phone starts blowing up like 911, 911. I'm thinking she was electrocuted or something. Like, I'm worried. And I open my FaceTime and your hair's all like, <laughs> and you were glowing. Yeah. Glowing. It literally, you guys, I hit the weed pen. I did it 30 seconds. I like an orgasm within 30 seconds. You guys, I don't know if I've had an orgasm in two years. Like it was like my poor body was like, hallelujah, (laughs) hallelujah. And I'm like, (laughs) so I was like, I called our friend and Mal where I'm back on the face. I'm like, you guys, and they're like, you're glowing. And I'm like, I just, it just brought out this like yeah. energy in me where I was like, hell yeah, I am woman, hear me roar. Like, hell yeah. So I'll be honest, the next day I did do it again. <laughs> <laughs> and then that was what, Friday, I think at this point, Thursday or Friday. And then I will be honest, I haven't done it since mm-hmm. because I, um, honestly, no reason other than I have been so busy and yeah, yeah. well, and that's okay. You know, you'll get, you'll get into it and when you'll feel it and whatever, we also started talking about like porn, which is not something I'm into. Like I really don't, I've never watched porn to masturbate or do any of that, any of that stuff because I, I'm such like a, like I create like own fantasies in my mind or like I'll think she creates fantasies <laughs> with her and Sam Fowler. Uh, <laughs> don't tell me secrets. Um, or I'll just think back of like a really good time, like intimate time I've had with someone of my past or whatever that I remember it being really good. And like, it just gets done and spliggity splat. It's just yeah. like pretty easy, but I'm just, I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of you for a talking about it because you guys, I know we're sitting here saying it's TMI. A, we were never a family show, right? So throw that out the window. We cuss all the time. And B, like, I think we need to normalize, like, knowing our body better and, and like, being okay with, like, pleasuring ourselves and doing these things. And to be honest, I was never really, like, very comfortable talking about it until I listened to a Girls Gotta Eat episode where they have sex with Emily on there. I don't know if you've ever listened to that podcast episode, but you should. Oh, she's a narrator. Doesn't she write stories? Is it that one? Um, sex with Emily. She's, um, she's, she's like a therapist. She's like a sex therapist. Oh. And so, and I follow her on Instagram, which she followed me back, which is like my biggest like peak flex. I've ever, flex I've ever <laughs> had in my life because she followed me back. But um, she just normalizes like, all of it, you know, and it should be, these are our bodies. Like we should know our bodies. Like we know nothing else. And some, and that area for whatever reason, like we tend to neglect and let's be real. So do the men. Cause they can't find where the clitoris is. Yeah, either. Cause there's a reason we haven't had orgasms in <laughs> two years. Um, 
So anyways, um, yeah, you should definitely look into that. Too yeah, if you so haven't. we will not, I'm not going to be posting a swipe up link, but I will promise you guys that if you listen to this episode and you're curious, DM me, no shame, no judgment, send you over that link. I want to add it to $35 yeah. no batteries needed, just charges in the wall. And it is the best $35 you will ever spend. Yeah. So anyways, about enough porn talk, enough porn talk, uh, but other than that, <laughs> Honestly, life has been good. I've been, um, I was going to say like doing a lot with church, <laughs> we <laughs> but have. I have like, and I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to know your body. And I don't think that someone should feel shame for something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, all that to say, it's been really wonderful. Just getting back in the groove with that. Um, I've been working obviously so much and, um, I actually start going back into the office, a kind of like a hybrid model this week. So just busy with that. And, um, also I guess the last time we saw you guys, our friend Ramon turned 31. Mm -hmm. So we had a huge party for him, which was so fun. Yeah. Which we, we had so much fun that night, obviously another, you know, day of, fun drinking with friends. And, um, I just, we, you know how we love to celebrate. So, um, that was fun, but I feel like starting that Monday, we were on a kick. Like we're like, we were saying like after Ramon's birthday, like we are dialing it in, we are getting a routine with like our working out. And I know we said that a few weeks ago too, but it's still like, it's been three consecutive weeks of just working out, you know, Mm -hmm. five days a week and staying consistent. And I, I'm feeling so much better. I don't know if you are, but it's just so, I don't know. I feel like this, this week, especially I like woke up on a high, I think, you know, whether it was like seeing friends and, but I feel like it has so much to do with working out and the endorphins that it gives you. And I also think that when you prioritize yourself and your needs, so you ignore the buzz around and you meet up with an old friend or you see your family or you make time for your workouts and do all of that. Like naturally the energy around you just increases to like good vibes. Mm -hmm. And we also have been, we obviously, you guys know this, we go to the 12 in Costa Mesa. We love that gym. The trainers are incredible. We love all of the trainers, but we've been going to a 740 class and lately like the vibes are just so, so good. good. So good. The energy levels are so good. It's just, you feel so motivating. I've, I've burned more calories in this last week of workouts than I like have ever in my life. I feel, um, and it's just good to be like in this momentum and, and feeling I'm going to miss the 740 classes so much because I'll be then, back in the office, yeah. but, um, it, all of the trainers are amazing and incredible. So if you guys haven't, if you're in the area and you have not tried the 12 yet, I suggest you do. I took my sister and my cousin there last week too, and they like loved it. They got such a butt kick, but, um, you know, we, and we don't, obviously that 740 class isn't always the case just because of our work schedules, but they have many other workout classes. And if you're ever interested, DM us, like we'd love to have you go. I'm so insecure when it comes to working out and it's true. Like no one is paying attention to you. Mm -hmm. Like it, it just, the music is great. It's such a good workout. And yeah, we've worked out more this month than we have all year. Mm -hmm. And it's just been really great. And we were just before we started recording, we're like, okay, next is diet because yeah, you know, we, we still love our pizza and our candy, but anyways. (laughs) Um, so I guess we'll get into kind of the overall view of today's episode and what we're going into. The title of today's episode is maybe you should see someone. And the reason that we decided to do this episode is because Mallory, 
I think you it was. How did you hear of the book? So I heard of oh, the book right. back in back in December. Girls Gotta Eat, which we always reference our very favorite podcast ever. They had the author of this book, Lori Gottlieb, on on their episode. And the title of their episode was um, like, you can change your narrative or you could change your story or that was whatever the title of this episode was. And they had Lori Gottlieb on there and she mentioned her book and the book is called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. And, um, you know, she's a she's a psychotherapist and she kind of just like goes through her story um, and the episode, you know, they're constantly talking about it's, it was more so relationship driven. Right. So they're talking about how, you know, based on how, you know, our childhood and what kind of what traumas we've gone through and what have you, how it plays out in the relationships and the men that we choose in our lives. But it's so it, it can be corrected. Like we're not a product of our childhood and we don't need to continue making the same mistakes in relationships and choosing the same guys. But it, she's basically talking about how certain things things become familiar and then they become a habit and what have you. Anyway, so she brings up the book. Maybe you should talk to someone. And obviously we're always talking about therapy. Um, I, I, I feel like, you know, with Marissa finding a new therapist more, more recently and like really diving into things and then, um, me as well and, and, and finding out different things about myself. Um, this book does such a good job of breaking down like different parts of, what you kind of go through in therapy and different types of people. Mm -hmm. That's, I, I will say I'm not much of a reader reason. I don't know if you guys remember, but our, our whole thing in the beginning of the year was like to read or listen to five books. This was book two, right? Yeah. This is book two because for me. Yeah. I think this is book two or three. I, yeah. Two, I think because I watch, I listened to, um, Claudia Oshery's book, oh, book. Yeah. but anyway, so this book, I don't know of all the books I've ever read. I've never become so close to characters. Like I was legit bawling my eyes out when the book ended. I mean, I cried a lot throughout it, Yeah, but she just, and we don't, I guess I, what I really don't want to do is spoil anything, mm -hmm. but basically she follows around the lives of several different people all going through different things. So one girl is diagnosed with cancer. She's young. Another is a older man who's like having marital issues, et cetera. But then also it's her perspective as a therapist and what she's gone through in life. And aside from childhood trauma and going through that, she also talks about how the hands were dealt, how it, how it affects us and how oftentimes as we get older, we're constantly like kind of haunted by that past person. And we're, and we're trying to rectify things and all these things instead of like trying to persevere and move forward. And so the book is so good and we're just so excited to dive into it. Um, I think we want to share some things to inspire all of you to seek a therapist or to read the book, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, but to also kind of like set the setting of what we want to hold ourselves accountable for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And this book does a really good job of, um, like debunking any type of stereotype that like you have to be like, either you have to be completely broken to seek therapy or you are, you, you know, you have to be going through like a crazy life trauma, right? Like usually that's how therapy starts because like you maybe get to a breaking point and like you need to talk to someone. And, but so many people never get to that point because we're so conditioned in our lives through experiences to just like push down our feelings and our emotions and not talk about it or maybe downplay 
the things that have happened to us in our lives and not recognize it and learn how to cope and and move forward. And so um, I think it's amazing that she she uses herself as an example. So she the book starts out that, that she goes through a really hard breakup. She's in her 40s. She's a single mother. Um, and she goes through this breakup of this man that she thought would be, you know, her future the rest of her life. And so she decides to seek therapy. So a therapist seeking therapist. Yes. Like they, they also seek therapy and her identifying so many things in herself that you're, you just like relate to on so many levels. If you've ever been in going through a breakup and that feeling of like that gut wrenching feeling in your stomach when you first break up and then all the grieving you kind of do after, Um, but then you get to a point where you recognize, you know, maybe all the things that were wrong in that relationship that you didn't, that you didn't see before or Mm -hmm. what you were trying to chase to complete, like a life you were trying to complete for yourself that maybe it just wasn't with, with the right person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so we will get into that, but just quickly a word from our sponsor and just kidding. We still don't don't have have sponsors, sponsors. but if you're that 35 vibrator, $35 vibrator, we're interested. <laughs> okay. And one of the things that are also interesting about her story and how the book starts, and she talks about her journey to becoming a therapist. So it's not like, and I, I think that was also a good example too, of like, you can change any part of your life at any point in time. Like your career is never set if you're not happy or if you're not doing what you think, you know, you want to do. So first she was a writer for TV shows like ER and Friends. And, and while she was you know, doing the writing and part of the production of, of ER, she realized how much she loved. Um, she wanted to go back. She wanted to become a doctor. She, Mm -hmm. she liked like the surgery. She would talk to the people. She realized, okay, I think I want to be, you know, so she went back to become a doctor, went back to school to become a doctor through school. She found out she liked more of like the diagnosis, the like, you know, you heal people and then they go, you know, you're just fixing these things, but she was more so fixated on like helping people grow. And so they basically geared her towards like, okay, you should probably go more into psychotherapy. And then, so like in her, in her late, I don't know, was it, I think it was like her thirties don't quote me on that, but like totally career change goes to school and starts and to become and becomes a therapist. Um, and she makes reference to like, you know, I could decide to like taking that leap of faith to to change careers, even at a young age, it's like going back to school. Yeah. That may, that may take like five more years of your life, but in five more years, you'll be looking back and you'll be the same age in five years and you'll still be wanting to do something else. So what does it matter starting over, you know, now, which I think is a very good concept for us to understand as well. Yeah. And not only was the book taking her through this career change, but it was also taking her into motherhood. Mm -hmm. So again, we don't want to give too much away, but she ends up having a baby and she has him through, uh, what is it? Is it? No, No, it's not IVF. It's where he, she's art. She's adopts somebody's sperm and artificially inseminated inseminated and has a son. And that entire viewpoint of its own was so interesting to me because she essentially got to the age where it's like, I'm not meeting anybody. I want to have a child. And that's the direction that she goes in. So while she's, you know, getting her degree and all of this, she's also having a child. And it was like, 
in two different ways, it made you realize right away that it's like, there's no timeline. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're ready for ha to have a kid, have the kid. You don't have to wait for the husband or you don't have to wait for that perfect relationship because she started realizing she was getting older and older and it wasn't happening. And then also she wanted this career change. And she was like, do I want to be in my thirties, like going back to school and completing hundreds of hours and all of these things before I can get licensed. And she went for it. And like, just even in those few chapters in the beginning, it just gives you this like awakening to makes you to make you realize that like the only timeline that you're pushing that's being pushed is like what you're putting on yourself. Exactly. And like the only the only thing standing in the way of you and in what you want is yourself, you know, because we'll constantly tell ourselves that it's too late or we can't do it or like, you know, find out a way to just like where you're at and you're in your current state. Um, and then you'll just look back at your life, like with regret, you'll always wish if you took that chance. And so, um, I do love that. So, um, we did want to talk about some takeaways with this book, um, because I think it opened our eyes up to our own, to our own selves. And like, I recognized so many things within this book, within myself, within patterns that like, I've literally written down notes that like, I want to talk to my therapist about. Um, and Marissa as well, obviously we're two very different people, Marissa and I with like different experiences. And so it just goes to show that this book has something to offer everybody. Um, so let's kind of, let's dive into that. Yeah. Um, I think one of there we each had, like she said, several takeaways, but I think one of the biggest takeaways I had is like identifying early on in therapy, like admitting to yourself what you want to work on. Mm -hmm. Um, in my previous therapist, before I had to find a new one because she moved out of state, uh, we didn't really identify what I was trying to work on because honest to God, I was just trying to survive. Like mm -hmm. I saw her right when I got diagnosed. And I think for the first five months I would sit in there and I like hated going, but I would go because to be honest, like it wasn't even like my family was pressuring me, but my oncologist and then my radiologist were both like really encouraging it. And, um, I felt like I couldn't have an outlet in front of my family because I had to like hold emotions in. So like that therapist allowed me to express that, but it took several sessions for us to get there. As we developed our relationship and continued to work on things, our, our, our sessions really revolved around cancer. So it revolved around introducing a relationship to life after cancer, sex after cancer, um, finances after cancer, friendships after cancer, letting go of friendships after cancer, like everything was related to cancer. And as I've kind of gone out of that phase, like thanks to God of, of, of being cancer free and like that stage of life being so removed from me now, I had to have this like honest and vulnerable conversation with myself of like, what isn't working in my life and what am I like need to hold myself accountable for? And the characters in the book did just that. A lot of the questions that they had is like, what do you want to work on? What do you want to cope with? What do you want out of this therapy session? Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times with therapy, there is like a, hopefully a dead end, right? Like hopefully you'll get to a point where like you've maxed out all of your sessions, meaning like you've really done all of the work and things are great. Now, how likely that's going to happen? I'm not sure, mm -hmm. but having to have that like honest conversation with myself while also, you know, starting a new therapist of my own. So not only really going into this book and understanding it, but having to be clear with my therapist of like, wow, I need to work on X, Y, and Z. And a lot of the times when you're 
honest and vulnerable with yourself, those are really difficult things to admit because they have to do with your character. And like, Mm -hmm. no one wants to admit that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, and identifying those things and having these goals set, you know, that's just a basic like framework. You go, you, what therapy even turns into from there, like at least you have these goals and what you want to achieve, but so much more is un, is released and unveiled. Like once you continue, um, by going through the process. Um, and I think that, I think that we owe it to ourselves and you owe it to yourself. Like going through, when you go through this process is to be honest as possible. But some people don't even know that. Some people are like, so stuck. there's a character in the book who, um, I recognized, you know, I, I recognized him and a lot of, and people that I may know, I recognized him of me a few years ago where you're just like in full blown denial. Like you're only willing to talk about this one portion of your life that I need fixed. But that portion of your life that may need fix is not like a bandaid. There's there, there may be more layers. It may be due to other surrounding things going on. And if you're not open to talk about those things and admit certain faults or maybe certain, you know, shortcomings that you've had, then therapy doesn't necessarily always work, but that takes time. I mean, you can be that person who is in denial and is in denial. And hopefully, you know, at some point there's like an aha moment where you, where you do open up and because that's where, you know, that's where mm-hmm. the magic happens, mm-hmm. so to say. And a lot of the times I think people think like, oh, I don't need therapy or, you know, things are the same. And that is because a lot of the times people are in denial. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, you know, the, the book talks about if you, if you find yourself online shopping a lot, if you find yourself overeating, if you find yourself over drinking, if you find yourself overstimulating in like any kind of way, what are you suppressing? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times we think, oh, I just love to online shop. It's like, well, what is, what is going to your mind that you're like distracting yourself? Mm-hmm. And that right there, I would just be so curious if people like actually took time to reflect and journal and not let their mind go to their phone or not let their mind go to the TikTok or the, you know, the Instagram, whatever is like mentally stimulating, like what thoughts are you trying to avoid? And that was really powerful for me also understanding that perspective of like, oh, wait, there probably is a reason why we do the things we do. Mm-hmm. It's not just like this mannerism I have. Yeah. It's, um, it's a, it's a habit, not like who you are, exactly. you know, or it's like yeah. a habit or a trait that you do, but it's not, it's not necessarily who you are. You're just, you're not an online shopper. You're not a procrastinator. You're not a whatever. Like those are just habits. Those are traits that, that we, you know, acquire. Um, I think for myself, I, I realized so much that like, um, I avoid, like I'm a, a more avoidant than I think that I, that I am like, that I, that I thought that I was at least in terms of like, you know, not talking about things sometimes because I just feel like I'll figure it out or, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Can you elaborate for those who don't know, like what is avoidant? Like it's like for the, you know, like elaborate. Yeah. So for me, like avoidant behavior to me would be like, if something is going on in my life and I don't want to bother someone with like my issue. So say I won't like, say I, say for instance, even though I tell you mostly everything, like say if something was going on and I'm struggling, you know, say like a breakup or a relationship or whatever, I don't want to talk 
talk to somebody about it because if I talk it out loud, it makes it true. And then I'm going to have to do something about it. So avoiding it is like, as long as it's suppressed and I'm not talking about it, then I don't have to do anything about it. And maybe it'll go away or maybe it'll get better, but it doesn't, you know, like in that sense, it doesn't, it doesn't get better. It only gets bigger. It only gets bigger. And for me, when I do those things, it gets bigger in ways that I don't necessarily see it, such as maybe eating, such as maybe like falling off track and like not feeling motivated to go to the gym, like consuming my life with other things, like busy things instead of the things that are important to me. Those are the way that it builds up like in my own life. Mm -hmm. And I was able, and I've reckoned, I've, although I've recognized that in the past, like it really was brought to light, like when they do talk about those like avoidant tendencies, um, because you want to be able to go to your friends and talk about your problems or like what have you. Um, and you need to know that it's okay to do that. Um, and, but you know, in, in doing that and, and them being receptive, you know, your friends are always going to have your back and like be your cheerleader and obviously want to, but there's a part, there's, there's a sense of ownership that you need to take once you've realized these things um, and what I could do to put forward to be better, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. to change to, to change my behavior, to change these things. How can I recognize this in the past? And one of the things they are in the future, um, one of the things they mentioned as well is that like, we're so hard on ourselves because we, because once we recognize these change, it's not like a, it's not just like a fix. It's not like, okay, well, I recognize that I, you know, tend to, you know, bottle up my feelings or like, or, or in relationships. Okay. I see guys that maybe need to be fixed. And I so badly I've seen in like, in, in a lot of the relationships that I've seen that maybe like I could fix them or eventually they'll love me enough. Or like, if I just continue doing this, like it will change them. I think that that's kind of a, con a, a constant thing that I've, I've seen or a trend that I've seen in my dating behaviors. Um, that's, that's one thing, like recognizing it, knowing it doesn't mean that like it's, it may never happen again, but being aware of it, you know, and being okay, like, or, or even starting a diet, if you start a diet and you mess and you mess up one day, it doesn't mean you just quit the whole diet. Like you can the next day, forgive yourself, give yourself compassion and like, and move forward and go on. Uh -huh. Um, so often we get so stuck in that phase where like, we can't do it because we've tried and it didn't work. So I'm going to go back to what's familiar. I'm going to go back to what makes you feel comfortable because like the starting over part, I've already like failed myself in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, that is like, a, the term for that is like finding the homeostasis, like finding where you're at that's comfortable. So we subconsciously do this every single day. If you're in a setting where like you don't want to do something, you are, and you're like, I'll just stay home. It's because you're body is, you're familiar with that stage. You're familiar with not doing something. When you step out of your comfort zone and you have to go do something, it's a challenge because naturally our bodies don't want that. Our bodies want to gravitate to what's familiar. So having to stop and pivot is difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing that I wrote down, what you just said about like having to be avoidant. Also, I think it's hard because you're having to be vulnerable and you're having to admit that you might need help mm -hmm. or that you might, need accountability. Mm -hmm. That's so hard to do. It is so easy to say it's hard. It's easy to do. It is very hard to say like, Hey, I'm going to, you know, do this and I need you to hold a, me accountable because I'm feeling really lousy. Mm -hmm. That's difficult to admit. When was the last time you had a friend admit that to you? Like, I don't know. It's, it might be stuff that you might say in passing, but like to have those vulnerable conversations of like, I'm choosing the wrong person. I need you to hold me accountable 
to stay in my lane when I start wanting to veer to find something that's familiar. Mm -hmm. That's difficult because then you're held accountable Mm -hmm. and your feelings could be hurt or there could be things when like that next guy does come along and it's that same pattern. It's kind of like, ouch. Mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah. And it reminds me of the conversation you and I and Brooke had the other day when a certain someone from my past has like resurfaced and I made a decision months ago what it's almost been like a year since I decided like, I, I don't want to continue. And like, there, there was a guy and we strictly had like a sexual relationship and it was just, it's, it's, that's just all it's ever been. And it will never be anything more. And I, I can't got to a point in my life where I'm like, this, this isn't serving me. I don't feel good afterwards. Like, yeah, I'm getting pleasure in like that sense, but like, I'm looking for so much more in my life. And so why am I conceding to this to this relationship that isn't fulfilling me any other way except for one and is leaving me feeling like, okay, like I want so much more, I know better. Right. But I had made the decision, like, and when you say it out loud, like I'm done, I'm done doing these types of things, having these types of relationships, having, you know, only like considering guys in my life that don't see the whole picture or that don't complete what I'm actually looking for. Um, and you know, we've, I think we've, there's been several opportunities where he's like reached out or like what have you. And we had this conversation the other day where as like, yeah, normal people would be like, whatever you want to hook up with him, go do it. Like every, fact, that's and, what our friend said. And that's our what friends, our friend said. Yeah. Like, wait, what do you mean? Just, why don't you just hook up with him? Like you guys know there's no feelings. And I was like, I know there isn't, it's not like I'm going to hook up with him and get attached to him. I'm going to hook up with him and know that in my heart of hearts, it's not good for me because it's me attaching myself to something that that is familiar, that's comfortable, that's, um, you know, but it's but it's not necessarily good for me. It's not fulfilling mm-hmm. what I need. And it, and it doesn't it's not in line with the goals that I have for myself. Mm-hmm. So one thing that Mal and I have been talking about a lot lately is writing down five things that you want and that you don't want. So like essentially five non-negotiables in a relationship. So maybe it's like he has to, I mean, this might sound somewhat superficial, but like maybe he has to make a certain amount of money. You know, uh, by the time you're in your thirties, like us, like you have a pretty good idea of what you want your lifestyle to be like. And I, as bad as it might sound, like you do want somebody on the similar wavelength. They maybe don't have to make as much, but if you're like wanting to go to vacations or you're wanting to eat at certain restaurants, like that's important. Mm -hmm. And it's okay if that's important to you. Maybe they have to, you know, have a good relationship with your family or maybe, you know, whatever it is. But it also, as it relates to relationships, could also relate to like, what are five things that you know that's going to keep you you know, steady and happy in life. So maybe that's working out, eating well, whatever. Well, in translation to this, like like last year, we did something with our church where we talked about strongholds and we thought we talked about like letting things go. And I think both of us realized that it's like, we need to let go of these relationships that don't serve us. And focus on at that point, that was important. So just because at this moment, maybe there's a slip up or maybe you're perhaps entertaining it, always go back to that list and be like, no, I know I might be feeling like this right now, but I know what I felt like when I said what I wanted to focus Mm -hmm, on. mm -hmm. And I mean, and you know, I'm, you can make all the excuses in the world too about like, well, I'm in a better place. Like I can handle it more. Like if it's something that you decided in a time where you were in a darker place and you really needed to seek change, like you need to go continue going back to that. Like there was a reason why, and I don't want to be 
back in that place. I don't want to feel that way to where I have to make this decision of like removing something that's toxic in my life. Like I want to be better and I want to know better and I want to do better for myself and you, you deserve better, you know? So, um, and that also goes hand in hand with friendships. I just want to add about that list. Um, I've said this before, but it's like, making the decision that your future self will be happy for. So maybe in this moment it sucks and it stings. And so an example is if you know something that you cherish in a friendship are like three things, maybe they, um, are honest and trustworthy. And I'm, I swear I'm like, everything's blending together we're, because we also watch we're the listening Brene. to so much we're health, listening to self-help, so much self-help shit. You guys have no and idea. This is actually the Brene Brown. I'm just realizing it's the anatomy of trust, but it's like, if you write down, like, these are the three things that I want in a friendship. I want them to be loyal and I want them to show up. I want them to be honest and not gossip. And I want them to, you know, I don't know, be funny, whatever the three things are. It's, go back to those things because there will be times when you feel left out. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you're like, Oh, I feel so crappy. Like I'm not friends anymore. I guarantee you that if you just think like, okay, they didn't, that friendship didn't serve me because they lied or that friendship didn't serve me because they had an anger issue. That feeling of feeling left out or feeling like that sting of like people getting together and you're not invited, it will go away because you will remember those points. Yeah, exactly. If you let that, that brief moment in time get to you and reach out in six months, I guarantee your friend's going to act the same way. People, unless they're like seeking help will not change. Mm -hmm. And we know friends well enough to know if they're seeking help. And so really that like 3.5 point, whatever those like main items are serve in so many parts of life. Mm -hmm. And if we, we actually will in a future episode talk on this, but if you're wondering what we're talking about, it's called Brene Brown and the TED talk is called the anatomy of trust. Okay. So another aspect of the book that we wanted to talk about too, is that, you know, there's multiple characters in the book that kind of represent different things. And, um, and I think you and I both related to Julie in the book, who is a character and, um, and just the process of grief and grieving and, and that, that grief looks and feels and is a million different things. Um, and you know, I, Julie in the book is one that had the girl that has cancer. She's terminal cancer. Um, you know, and you would think like, okay, well, I don't have cancer. Like, well, I relate to it, but the the author's able to relate like her story and just what grief looks like, um, in so many different, that it could look so many different ways. Um, and I think in, for me with a breakup, um, like I, I kept, I thought a lot throughout this book about not this most recent breakup, my, like my bigger breakup that had happened last year and how so much of like the grieving process of going through a breakup. I was telling myself, like, we were only together for eight months, like get over it, like this and that. And she talks about this, um, idea of, um, of, oh gosh, idiot compassion. She Mm. mentions it. And, um, like how your friends, how your friends are amazing, right? Friends are, are like amazing. They're there for you. They give you great advice, you know, going through a breakup or whatever it may be. Um, you know, they want to tell you like, screw him. He's the worst. Like you'll get over it. Like we're here for you. You're the best. You're amazing. You're this, you're that. And those things obviously do help along the way. But then there's a certain point in time where, 
you know, your friends expect you to get over it, but you're still like grieving. And, and I don't think that we don't understand that people, um, like aren't necessarily grieving the breakup in, in that moment, like the eight, the eight months that you're together, it's, you're grieving a future that you had envisioned in your, in your head with this person. And that takes a lot longer to, to understand and accept and, and get over. It's the fact that you opened your heart up one more time and this person wasn't the right one. And that like you saw this future down the line with this person. Um, and then they, you know, they took that away from you. That's been stripped from you. It's been taken. And so you, you know, recognizing that, um, that you were, you know, vulnerable in that sense and that it's not going to be the ending that you thought, but getting past that and seeing that, your ending will still be great. It's just, it's just not going to be that one. Um, and I think you can relate to it in, in a yeah. different way. And also when it came to that about Julie is that the author, Lori Gottlieb kept saying like in, in the, cause it's also, these are all, obviously they're real stories. Like this is a, um, all of them are real stories. She of her course changed patients, the names yeah. and stuff, but they're all real patients from her career. But she kept saying like something bad would happen and Julie would, and her patient had cancer. So Laura would always be like, well, at least I don't have cancer, but it's like, yeah, cancer sucks. But so does being a single mom and trying to figure out your job. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's grief is their own. I'll never forget that I was friends with somebody once and like, they always made it seem like their grief was worse than mine. And mm -hmm. that was really hard because it was like, you're essentially like, making me feel like my feelings aren't valid. And that was really hard to deal with. And I, I would say that part of my therapy now is like acknowledging that that was really hard. And, um, some of what I deal with now is like, um, my, I, I think I talked to this on the last episode when Mal sent me flowers, but like my cancerversary, you know, like being three years cancer free is a really big deal to me. And somebody that is like, what's the big deal if, you know, if they forgot or, you know, whatever. And it's like, because it's a really big deal to me, mm -hmm. it's a, it's something that I'm like grieving. And yeah, it's, it's maybe not this like awful thing, but it's still a heavy topic to me. Mm -hmm. And so, um, Part of what they say in the book is they quote this poem called Welcome to Holland, and I'm going to read it. But um, the reason it's so powerful is because everybody's stage of life is different. And I would say that many stages, even if you're married with kids, you know, like you probably are familiar, but maybe you are like single and like going out of a relationship and you feel it, you're feeling like you are in another country compared to other people, mm -hmm. or maybe you're going through a divorce or maybe you had cancer or anything or something like that. So this is by Emily Pearl Kingsley and it's called welcome to Holland and it's quick. I'll read it, but it's like two minutes. So I'll be quick. It yeah. says I, and she writes it about having disabled kids and or a disabled child. So it says, I am often asked to describe the experience of raising a child with a disability to try to help people who have not shared that unique experience to understand it, to imagine how it would feel. So it's like this, when you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks and you make wonderful plans. The Coliseum, the gondolas in Venice, and you may learn handy phases and it's phrases in Italian. And it's all so exciting, right? It, it is obviously mm -hmm. after months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives, you pack your bags and off you go. And several hours later, the plane lands, the stewardess comes in and says, welcome to Holland. Holland, you say, what do you mean Holland? I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy. 
All my life, I have dreamed of going to Italy, but there's been a change in the flight plan and they've landed in Holland and there you must stay. The important thing is that they haven't taken you to a horrible, disgusting, filthy place full of famine and disease. It's just a different place. So you must go out and buy nude guidebooks and you must learn a whole different language and you will meet a whole different group of people that you would have never met. It's just a different place. It's slower place than Italy, less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there for a while and you catch your breath, you look around and you begin to notice that Holland has windmills and tulips and Rembrandts. But everyone, you know, is busy coming and going from Italy and they're all bragging about what a wonderful time they had there. And for the rest of your life, you will say, yes, I was supposed to go to Italy. That's what I wanted to do. That's what was planned. And the pain of that will never, ever, ever go away because the loss of that dream is a very, very significant loss. But if you spend your life mourning the fact that you never went to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special place, the very lovely things that are Holland. Oh, uh, I know. I get the chills. It, oh. it gives me chills and like it brings tears to my eyes because yeah. I think that like, although she's talking, you know, about her disabled son, like it applies to so many things in life of where we wish that we were at. Um, your story in general, I feel like, is why I get emotional about it too, because, um, you know, you're dealt, we're all dealt hands in life and it's what we like finding the beauty in it somehow at some point Mm -hmm. through the grief. And if this podcast could be anything for all of you, maybe it's not Holland. Maybe it is Holland, you know, maybe there's tulips here or maybe we're all, you know, in Greece or something, you know, (laughs) but like, we're grieving with you. We know that if you're listening to the podcast, many of you are probably single and you're probably grieving this like life that you should, that you feel you should have had by now. Um, but we just, you know, for, and if, for what it's worth, encourage you to like look around and find your own type of Holland and like find beautiful flowers and have lunches with friends and enjoy your nieces and nephews. And like, know that this journey is just as beautiful. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh my gosh. I loved it. I'm glad that you read like the whole poem and stuff because I think that that was such, it's such a big part of the book. Yeah. It was the beginning of the book. And when I've heard that poem before randomly on TikTok, but when I tell you that I was like sobbing during that chapter, because they obviously relate it to Julie and Julie is like, someone shared that with her and she's like, I have cancer. I don't have like a disabled, you know, a disabled child. And she was feeling like it was kind of that idiot compassion because Mm -hmm. sometimes people want to try so hard to say this right thing, but all you want them to say is like, I'm here if you want to talk and they don't need a reply and they don't need you to like shit talk their boyfriend or they don't need you to say like cancer sucks. My sister had cancer too. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes they just want you to listen and show up and that's it. Yeah. We're, we always feel like there's something that we need to say when Uh someone is coming to you to talk, but sometimes the best thing we could do is be silent. The best thing we could do is tell them I'm so sorry you know, mm-hmm. and, and even say, I have, I have no words, but I'm here, you know, for, for whatever you need. And I, cause more often than not, like, you're not going to be, you're not going to solve what their issue is. Right. That's not why they're coming to you, um, to solve it, to fix it, whatever. They're just looking for someone to relate and just like unload this feeling that they're having. And, um, just in hopes that someone will be receptive to it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Anyways, that was <laughs> uh, the other, uh, you could always tell like our different personalities because 
even me where it's like the ca- the person has cancer like yeah i get chills but i'm like okay Mal's like crying oh i know well i i because i had started this book before marissa yeah. i actually started in december but just stopped listening to it um but and then restarted it and then i just told marissa like i'm list- i'm i'm listening to this book and like you have to read it there's this part about Holland and I probably didn't even do it justice, like explaining it to her. Cause I was just like, you have to listen to it. And, um, you know, and then I, just, I go, I saw it on TikTok, and she goes, damn it. And I was like, don't fuck TikTok. Listen to the book. <laughs> um, the other thing that, um, was like an overarching theme that I really took away with, from it is looking at these difficult moments as an opportunity to do the bigger thing or the right thing. And so there was a character about it that I'm sure Mal will speak to more about her personality and like what she deals with. But, um, the, a big theme of the book is like looking at something instead of it being like, Oh, you know, the train was late and nothing ever goes my way or whatever, you know, whatever it is or whatever you're, however your anger is or a friend is treating you bad or a spouse is treating you bad. Look at it as an opportunity of for growth and for learning. And so, um, I think many times we know what we should do. Like we know that we need to do the right thing or we know what to do in a circumstance and we don't for pride or for not wanting to be vulnerable or whatever it is. And I think that when you're presented with these, um, you know, awful situations or where somebody's wronging you use it as an opportunity to practice you know spin it and be like thank you for being such an asshole now i get to practice doing the right thing Mm -hmm. um i think that i have some friends right now where like i've had some difficulties getting over you know we're in this like storming phase and we use that sense in our church group but i could see it also in my friend group or some friends where it's like i could feel that like kind of turmoil and almost rather than like resenting them i'm trying to learn it as like either a learn from learn to grow from it be like learn to be the bigger person c learn to know when to back down and let them have this win look at it as a practice opportunity mm-hmm. because you will be surprised if you stop thinking like you're constantly being attacked and con- and look at it as like wow now i'm getting the opportunity to put my therapy work into play yeah because if therapy is only successful as if you implement change and you can go and you can talk and talk and talk and go to counseling and all of that as much as you want but until you actually take that advice and implement it it's your money is not well spent and so you know i learning to be the bigger person in in times where maybe you were too prideful or learning to be emotionally open in times where you like didn't want to show that side always learn and look for these opportunities to be that bigger person and to implement change yeah and and I think I used to be someone who, you know how people always say like, people don't change, Mm -hmm. like people don't change. They are who they are. And I just think that that's the biggest misconception in the world. And like kind of the worst thing to say, because people do change if they do the work to, to fix it. Um, people, people do. And I think that there's, there's a chapter in the book. It's literally called how humans change. And, um, they go into, you know, after you, after you've become more self-aware of certain things and you've talked through these things with your therapist, um, there's like a maintenance phase, right? Like you've put things into play. Now what? Like, you know, and, and there is that, that phase where you're like, okay, I've like talked about it. I've recognized this, you know, um, she uses the example of like people going to marriage counseling and, 
or um, someone having an issue in their marriage. And it's like, yeah, I talked and I realized that like, you know, we had an argument the other day and I realized that I was doing that thing. Okay. Well, what did you do to change it? I didn't do anything. We still uh -huh. had the same argument. I just recognized that it was, it's like, it's, it's making the change and in, in doing it differently. And I feel like that's exactly what you were speaking to, um, because we're given those opportunities all the time. Mm -hmm. And just hear us loud and clear. I know I said earlier when I was like, people don't change. People do change if they seek help, mm -hmm. if they take action. If you have somebody, if you're dating somebody and you're like, you know, five years go by and they're the, still the same person. Yeah, of course they didn't change. They didn't implement anything. Mm -hmm. They didn't seek a therapist. They didn't you know, maybe the, um, things they're reading was, was taught, or maybe they're going to like a, a grief class or something mm -hmm. like that. And that's where they're implementing change. Change is very successful. And we've, we've seen so many people change for the better. We have many friends where we've seen them. They're essentially this whole new person and we're, and, but it's because they took the feedback, they took the therapy sessions, whatever it was, and they implemented change. What I would encourage you to do is reflect on the people in your life or the challenges you're having and think like, are these reoccurring problems? Have I asked them to change? Did they not change? Okay. Now maybe I need to reassess because they're not going to change. Yeah. Um, and just because they do change, like I relate this to relationships as well. Like that person could have done all the work in the world and as a great person or whatever, that still may not be your person. Like you could be happy for them and you could be like so glad that they made that change for themselves and what have you, but you, you, it, it still may not be the right, just because that person changed doesn't mean that you can, that it's, that it's going to be a perfect fit or a fix or what have you. Um, but in all they can change and be better for the next person, for the next friendship, for the next relationship or what have you. What other takeaways did you have? Like when the book ended, like, was there any like aha moment where you were like, yeah. Um, a lot of things. I think one of the things too, and I, you and I talked about this before, um, we started recording and they make a big point to say, um, like we want to, we always want to work so hard to be better or fixed before we start to date again, before we go and do this. Like we're, we're, it's like, we're not going to start this until what have you. Um, and she kind of explains the opposite that like, you know, that is how you put it into play. Um, um, you know, seeking a relationship, like many, you know, guys will be like, I need to work on myself or like, I don't want to date. Cause like, I need to work on myself, which is true. Like me right now, I don't necessarily think, um, like I'm in this good groove of like working on myself and doing these things that I'm not really like interested in dating. If it were to like, happen or come across, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I'm not going out and seeking it. If that, if that makes sense. Um, if it came to me, then great. Then maybe it would be, you know, something better. Um, but the idea that you don't need to be whole, you know, and that, that, that therapy and, and working on yourself is ever changing and growing and it's a process. Um, and it would be beautiful to, you know, maybe meet someone who's also doing that same thing and you grow, you know, together, you would understand that like dynamic and what have you. Uh, because if one person's only working on themselves and the other is not, um, it's not fair. It's not fair. You will, you, you're just, you're, you're a disservice to yourself because then it's like, you're doing all the things you're putting in all the work for yourself. This person is only reaping the benefits of those things that you're doing for yourself and that your counterpart, your person needs to be doing the same thing. What did your therapist say? Was it, um, my therapist said, so, 
um, my, my therapist told me that I have everything to lose, but what do I have to gain? Yeah. Like, like someone, you know, you, you're working on yourself. You have so much to bring to the table. You're like a loving person, you're understanding and what have you. And of course somebody would benefit from being a relationship or a friendship, a relationship and or friendship, a colleague or even. a colleague, anything. Of course, someone would benefit from you being in your life. You have such a great outlook and you're doing all this work. What do you have to benefit from that other person besides them just taking that, you know, from you mm -hmm. and not depositing it back? Yeah. So to say. And I will be honest, that's like one of the most profound things that when she shared that with me, I was like, oh my gosh, that is so true. When you think about yourself individually, I mean, sometimes we want to like beat ourselves up and we want to like think that we're this person who's, you know, oh, I can't even get to the gym or I can't even, you know, like I'm not performing at work, whatever it is. And like, really give yourself grace and know that you're like a badass person doing the best that you can. But a lot of the times, like being self-aware is like the very best thing you can be. So if you're bringing all this to your table, the table, you're being self-aware, you're bringing, you know, like you're smart, you're reading, you're doing the work. What is that person doing? So the next time you, you know, are thinking about getting in a relationship with somebody or addressing a friendship or whatever, have that honest conversation of like, what are they bringing to my life? Are they just making me feel bad? Mm -hmm. Are they making me feel like my grief isn't valid? Are they making me feel like, um, the stage of life I'm in is wrong? You know, like, do they have something against Holland? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Or it could be, it could even be good things. It could even be like, are, am, am I on this roller coaster high because everything is so good, right? Mm -hmm. Like they, they talk about in these relationships, like, you know, there's also fault in that. It's the homeostasis. Like you had said again, like, is it too much? Is it, is it too, is it, is it too good? Is it like overcompensating for something? Like, am I waiting for this other shoe to drop because this feels so good? I'm at this all time high to where everything is perfect and there's nothing like everything's too perfect. Like there's things going on underneath the layers. Like people, it's not always this high and this like great, this great thing all the time. Yeah. And sometimes we mistake things, you know, of like the high of the chemistry with the highs and lows of a relationship of somebody like playing hard to get or mm -hmm. someone not being communicative because we're so used to this like euphoria of like the high highs and the low lows that we're like, we have this crazy chemistry. It's mm -hmm. like, no, he's emotionally unavailable and you're an idiot. And yeah. you're like putting up with this behavior and letting him like not like he's not highlighting your self-worth. He's not like making you see how great you are. He's almost taking advantage of it or mm -hmm. not even he, she, if it's a friendship, whatever it is like there, it's the highs and the lows of that, that you're like, well, we have all of this, you know, we have this. And it's like, no, mm -hmm. like that, that is your, you're probably confusing that homeostasis of being used to like chaos with a not very healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. The drama versus, um, the drama versus if it's actual like chemistry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. So I feel like that's all we're going to necessarily talk about the book. Um, we don't want to ruin it. Obviously we're not even giving this book justice and what it can actually do to, I believe, change your life and just get you thinking about these things. If anything, this book will just get you thinking about so many things in your life in a good way. Like, I don't think this book you should ever, I don't think anybody will really walk away from this book feeling bad because they recognize certain things of uh, in themselves. Like that's not 
the purpose of, of this book at all. So I encourage anybody who, if you've gotten anything from this episode to listen to the book, we obviously listened to it on audible. Um, but we also purchased the paperback because we liked it that much that we're going to re-listen and read it and highlight. And just like, I just would love it to, to have it as like a guide for me. Um, the book is called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb. Um, you should follow her on Instagram. She also has the TED Talks that we've talked about. Um, she's really like an incredible author. And I think um, this kind of also sparked something that we wanted to launch, basically. Um, we're going to be letting you guys know some of the books we're listening to so that maybe you can join us like in this journey of like self-discovery and and everything that we have. Um, you know, we're really on a good kick to where we get like all the the books and the movies and the videos that we've been listening to. We get them all mixed up because they all touch base on a lot of the same things. Um, but we just started. Um, what did we just start? The five oh, second rule. The five second rule. So if you guys want to like start listening, I think we're like an hour into, I'm an hour or so into um, the five second rule. It was recommended by my therapist for me to listen to because I think so often I doubt myself and I doubt my decisions and, and, um, and I, she recommended that it may be good to listen to. And I hear it's really good for sales too. So starting this new job, I'm like, you know, yeah. Empower that. I'm about the same. I think we're both what chapter four or five mm -hmm. and it's, it's really good. And, and I think at the end of the day, like our biggest takeaway or what the biggest takeaway that we hope that you have from this episode and the book series is to just like ultimately know your self-worth, know that whatever the person is that you bring into your life, obviously with like colleagues or families, you don't really have a choice, but friends and relationships know your self-worth and know that they should be the cherry on top. They shouldn't be like a huge piece of the cake. They mm -hmm. should complement your life. They shouldn't be your life. And so, you know, if your focus, like our focus right now is like, you know, getting back on track with like eating well and working out and like doing well at our jobs and all of that. Like if those things get right, a relationship will follow mm -hmm. and it will be a healthy relationship. It's when you're like, oh, well, you know, maybe I won't make time for these friends or maybe I won't do this. And then this relationship takes over that then that relationship, at least I think, isn't built on like the best foundation. Mm -hmm. And so, um, Anyways, all that to say is we are on the self-help train. We are excited for this year. I feel like we are getting our groove back. We are listening to the five second rule now. And then what is the next book that um, we'll listen to? The next book, it, it's actually from Lori Gottlieb, um, but it doesn't come out. It's actually her new book and it comes out on May 25th. So we've pre-ordered it on Audible. So we want to be done with the five second rule before May 25th so that we could start. Um, it's called Marry Him the case of settling for Mr. Good enough. And I think like just the title in general is like, I feel like we're going to relate to it so much yeah. because yeah, I don't know the expectations we may have with dating and finding this like Mr. Right. And this perfect man, um, there may be, you know, I don't know. I'm just, I'm excited to dive into yeah. that one. For I sure. think our hope is that we'll always be like this year listening to something and mm -hmm. kind of like, 
we check in like every day, like, where are you at in the book? And like, we're able to like chat about it and that type of thing. And like, how cool would it be if like we had a community of listeners like listening to the same book and maybe we had a, a coffee meetup and like, guys, I'm not going to fucking lie, but Kachina Enoteca. Oh, yes. Reached out to us and asked if we wanted to do this is like a really good restaurant in Newport Beach. They asked if we wanted to do a, a live podcast. They want recording. us to do a live podcast recording that they'll host it um, at their place. So we're going to be scheduling that and we'll let you guys know um, all because we love their focaccia bread so and we'll much. We'll be signing books. We'll be signing a book, but because we don't have a book, you guys could just we'll bring, be signing vibrators. You, <laughs> you guys bring could just, your vibrator. We'll you sign guys it. could just bring any book you want. You could bring your vibrator box. I don't give a fuck, but we'll sign something. If in. you bring your vibrators, please make sure they're washed. Anyways, per <laughs> popular demand, I can't believe how many people reach out is like, can you guys please tell more dating horror stories or can you please tell like awful date stories? And so. Yeah. We have one. And we thought we were, you know, I thought that I had run out of some of these <laughs> things, but apparently I haven't. Um, mine's not necessarily like, I don't know, I guess it was a series of a. It's, no, it's a fucked up. It's a fu it's a really fucked up thing. Yeah. It's actually like it's, it's, it's absolutely terrible that people like this are out there in the world that would just like want to hurt you. Um, but I will go ahead and tell the story. I was dating this guy, briefly dating this guy. Um, he moved very quickly. I feel like that happened. See, as me, I'm I'm recognizing a lot of the, you know, trends that I've had in dating. But anyways, this guy, we'll call him whatever. Fuck it. We'll call him Paul. There's no way he's ever listening to this. But this guy's name was Paul. And um, he all shows up. Like, you know, <laughs> he's all, well, you didn't pay for my I gas. I have to say something before she describes the situation. So I meet him with my friend randomly, Sam Fowler. We talk about Sam so much as he goes, this is him. Hi, I'm Paul. Yeah. Well, <laughs> keep in mind, I took, I brought him to, we had like dated for a week, but I was like into him. So I brought him to my friend's party. It was all white party in LA. It was our, our friend Chelsea. And so all of my best guy friends were there. And as you have heard us talk about our guy friends, like we're very close. It's almost incestual. Like we jokingly flirt with one another. And like, I, I do recognize that like, I'm going to need to be with a guy that's like, okay with that. And just knowing that like, these are strictly platonic friends, but obviously I didn't have this conversation with this guy. And he got so offended because Sam Fowler, it was an all white party. And I wore this like white romper and it was really cold. And I was, um, standing in a circle and I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so cold. My nipples are going to break off. And then Sam, um, and I said it in front of Sam and he, this guy got so mad. This isn't the horror story, by the way, but this guy got so mad um, that he was like, how dare you talk about your nipples in front of all these dudes? Now they're all just thinking about your nipples. And I was like, Sam Fowler, although I'm sure he probably was thinking about my nipples after that, is not thinking about my nipples. Like it was like the biggest ordeal to where he left us. He, he left, left me at this us. party. He got and like, he drove me and he drove. He had driven us here and then he had left us. He said he's going home like whatever. This guy was freaking crazy. But like I also needed to get home. So like I had like was like, well, how am I going to get home? Whatever. And we so were he, broke back then. Like we couldn't afford it. I was so from. broke that I was so broke at that point that I like convinced him to drive. So I didn't have to fill up my car with gas and he had to fill up his and he was already and he was so cheap that he was like pissed off that he had to pay for the gas. Anyways, I was about to overdraft. So I was not about to pay my gas and I was going to make sure that he paid for all my drinks. That's honestly why I think I brought him to the party. Hi, um, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Paul. And anyway, so. 
long story short, after after that night, I was like, okay, this this relationship, the way that he acted, it was like so this I can't date this guy anymore. I can't see this guy anymore. So I broke things off with them. And I just let him know, like, I just don't think we're in the like same same place. Like I didn't like how you you acted yesterday. These are my friends. These are the closest people to me. I've like explained to you that they're harmless. Everything is platonic. And like you just you you flipped out on me and I don't like that behavior. He writes me back. Like paragraphs, paragraphs of basically of terrible I am. And at the end, at the end of it, he basically says, like, well, fuck you, bitch. Every time we had sex, I was thinking of your mom. Like he had called me a fat bitch, like all these terrible, 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 terrible things. And I was just like, that was like something in my life where I like, obviously the guy was crazy, but you're just like, what, like, how could someone be so just because something didn't work out, like you're going to just totally tear somebody apart and say that you were thinking about their mom. Like my mom is hot. So that's honestly like a childhood trauma thing. Like all of my, my mom, my mom is like a very good looking and I've grown up with like people being like, Oh, your mom's hot or like your mom's a milf and all this, that. So like, you know, it would be my nightmare to ever like know that a guy was like doing that. And obviously he was, I know he was saying it out of anger or maybe he wasn't, I don't know, but he did later apologize, but I had, I ended up blocking him after that. But um, yeah, that was just, that's one of my dating horror stories that he made a fool of himself in front of my friends. I had only known him a few weeks, which was probably not the best time to be bringing someone around my friends without vetting him a little more. Um, but then the icing on the cake was just that, that comment. So don't let people disrespect your friends and you and, and your mom. It just, it was definitely like, I remember when all of that went down and it's just funny to me when guys get so jealous because we've had boyfriends get jealous of our guy friends. Like it's not the first time it's happened, mm-hmm. but it's like to us, like, I mean, our guy friends are very good looking. I get it. But to us, we're like, they're little cute. They're like our little brothers. And we're like, they tell us about their girlfriends. Like, it's just never that. So for him to behave like that, like literally left us stormed out. So crazy. Mm-hmm. I can just promise you guys, if you guys ever have bad dates, you're not alone because mm-hmm. I mean, what kind of psychopath does that? Yeah. Insane. Yeah. And I'm curious to know, like, you know, if other people have had those kind of issues where their boyfriends are or girlfriends or what have you, our friend are, are like jealous or maybe threatened by like their their circle of friends, um, because I just look at it the way that we are with our friends. And when our guy friends are dating girls or whatever, like we're the first to be like reaching out to the girls and being nice and like making them feel welcome. But I know for a fact, and we've even heard from our, my sweet, my sweet Tori cook, like even in the beginning, it was, she was very intimidated to meet us because she knew that her boyfriend was friends with us and was close with us. But, um, you know, you just welcome those people with open arms. Like, of course we would want another girl and for them to be happy and then whatever, you know, I would just hope that like, I would get that same reciprocation of like a guide, like, like being okay with me having really great supportive friends where even the guys will love to meet you and that I'm dating you. Yeah, definitely. Um, anyways, but we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We just have to say again, how thankful we, 
Oh, thankful we are for that you guys are sticking around. This is going on what five months of us now recording, and we have you know so many going back. We're like, I can't believe how much we've recorded, and the only reason why we do this is because you guys take the time to like send those messages, or somebody new will reach out, and it'll be like, oh my gosh, like some you know from another country or from another area, and you're just like how did you hear about us or whatever? And it's just like, and it's, it's so exciting. So thank you. And thank you for being uh, uh, with us through the ebbs and flows as we get our schedules and stuff underway. Um, as you guys know, we always just try to, you know, we don't make any type of like income off of this. It's never been our, well, I mean, to be honest, that'd be fucking cool. It'd be nice if money, we could. Yeah, but we don't, we really just do it for fun right now. We don't have like the sponsorships or anything. So with that said, because we don't make you guys listen to commercials, if you enjoyed this episode, please donate. of everything that we raise is going to Timmy Kruger. He is a friend of ours. Um, Her brother, he has stage four cancer, stomach cancer. Um, He's young. He has two boys. And um, my heart was just really tugged on today because Kelly shared that they're having to pay for the PET scan out of pocket. The insurance will only cover a, um, what is it called? Um, And like as somebody who went through cancer, you know how important those PET scans are. And it's just disgusting that insurance isn't like, oh, no problem. Like you should be able to do as many as you want. The PET scans are vital. The PET scans are tracking your progress. And we do not want any type of financial burden on this family. And so if you enjoyed this episode, if you got anything out of it, you can Venmo me at Marissa dash Norris. We sent hundred percent over to that family. So please donate. Yeah. And an update too, for those who have donated, like, thank you so much that it does not go unnoticed. Their family appreciates it and are just like so blown away that people would even care to, to donate. But an update on Timmy, he is receptive to treatment and he's been doing so well to the point where he hasn't been able to eat without a feeding tube for months and he was able to eat like pizza and things are happening and you know nothing is impossible and so um you know just giving you guys an update too that he he is on you know he he's doing he's great. doing great and he's being receptive to to treatment and that's all we can hope for um and hoping that it progresses and so um you know keep the, our, this family in your prayers too if you're someone that does and um you know we'll keep you posted on his progress as well and that goes for all of the amazing donations that you gave i mean to uh, Tyler Decker to, um, that org Tyler's tribe, that organization alone, we gave $500 to, I mean, for a hobby that two best friends have just knowing that like the people we know are willing to support causes we believe in is means the world to us. And so we'll catch you next week. Yeah. We literally have the next six week planned out. Hopefully we'll have some good dating stories so that we're not in a slump, but if anything, we'll have vibrator stories. Yeah. Then that may be, (laughs) gosh, we will have vibrator stories, won't we? All right. Well, we'll catch you soon. Thanks guys. Peace out.